Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is The Daily DC. Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast... Debate two in the books. Now, of course, it's all debate one, but uh, the second night of debating may go down as uh, a historic moment in this campaign. When the cam- when the history is written of campaign 2020, um, I do believe that what you saw on the debate stage last night, no matter the outcome of who the Democratic nominee is, uh, that moment is going to be in the history that gets written. You don't have a ton of moments like that throughout a campaign. Um, And that moment I'm speaking of, of course, is the moment that Kamala Harris took it directly to Vice President Biden on the issue of race, on the issue of busing and segregation, and delivered a significant critique of the vice president while standing on stage with him at this debate. I'm going to play the whole exchange in just a moment, but... And I'm going to try to get out of the way on this podcast and just have you listen to the entire exchange there. I'm going to have you listen to Joe Biden's forceful defense today in Chicago. But I I just want to set the context here for a moment. First of all, remember, Kamala Harris was dominating the debate last night long before this moment happened. This was the beginning of the second hour. She, She was the clear winner of the debate already by the end of the first hour. She just delivered a commanding performance and elevated her candidacy to a new place. And if you recall, if you've been listening to this podcast at all in the last six months of this campaign, you've heard me constantly say that there is a question mark over Joe Biden's candidacy, whether or not he is up for being This 2019-2020 Democratic Party standard bearer, if he is up for it ideologically, if he is up for it in terms of energy and stamina, if he is up for it in terms of his ability to prove that he is the best to beat Donald Trump, is he the man of this moment for the Democratic Party? And... I believe that there is an enormous divide between the political establishment class and its perception of Joe Biden's candidacy and his frontrunner status, which is to say highly skeptical, and the voters, which is to say Democratic voters across this country, including African-American voters, the very core of the Democratic base, seem to have an enormous reservoir of goodwill for Joe Biden. He's not just leading in the polls because of name recognition. There's a real reservoir of goodwill. He is exceedingly well-liked. For a politician who's come off you know, the bench, gotten into the fray, is a candidate, his likability numbers, his favorability numbers are still quite high. 
And he did serve for eight years as the vice president for a man that is beloved in the Democratic Party, Barack Obama. So there's real, real goodwill there. It's not just a casual relationship that these Democratic voters have with Joe Biden. But I will say that his performance on the debate stage last night did nothing to bring the political establishment class closer to the view of what the Democratic voters have been telling us thus far this election season. One debate performance does not define a candidacy. This is a long process. To think that Joe Biden, because he had a rough night, just disappears into thin air is to misunderstand the dynamism of this process. But I think last night was really instructive. Now, you may say, who the hell cares what the political establishment class thinks of the Biden candidacy? And that's a fair thing to say. It's the voters that that get to decide. But the fact that there's such a divergence on that is really intriguing. I mean, the political class usually is a pretty, like, malleable organism, if you will, with the polls. And they follow the polls. They follow the money. They get behind conventional wisdom usually. It's just – it is worth taking note that so many – People in the political, democratic world, donors, staff, operatives, politicians, whatever, are wondering if Joe Biden really is as strong of a frontrunner as the polls might suggest. And the fact that they question that is something that I think is worth noting. Now, the other thing that I want to say out of the debate last night, you're going to hear so much about – Uh, the Medicare for All stuff, or providing health care for undocumented immigrants, or, you know, getting rid of private insurance. There's a lot of minutiae to dig into there. There are a lot of policy positions that may present an opportunity to Donald Trump and his campaign, and Republicans may see something that they think is going to be very successful for them as a line of attack in a general election context. All of that is true when it happens. But I think if you step back What you see over the course of this first debate series, these two nights of debate, the two people to emerge most successfully from the debates are probably Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris. And if you want to add in Julian Castro from night one and Pete Buttigieg from night two, you've got an African-American woman, a liberal, progressive warrior, female senator in, in Elizabeth Warren. You've got a 37-year-old gay guy who's a mayor of a small town, and you have a Latino candidate who served in Barack Obama's cabinet. Here you are, California senator, Massachusetts, Indiana, Texas, geographic diversity, and the four of them probably emerge from these debates in ways that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders could only uh, wish for. They, they are the leaders going into this race. We'll see if they're the leaders in the next round of polling. But the point is, these heavyweights, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, did not emerge as the sort of boosters. Uh, like Their candidacies didn't get sort of rocket boosters put on them in some way that perhaps the other four do have in emerging from these debates. So my question becomes twofold. Is a Democratic Party that appears clearly to have moved further left, further liberal progressive than it ever was in the Clinton era, than it ever was in the eight years of Barack Obama? 
clearly across the two nights, you have seen a party move to the left. You've seen the center of gravity in the party move to the left. And you are getting the most diverse picture of political leadership either major party in America has ever presented to the American people. Uh, Like I just said, Harris, Warren, Buttigieg, Castro, Booker. And here's the question that we don't know. Is this very picture, unprecedented, diverse political leadership and a more liberal Democratic Party, something that can attract a majority of the American people when compared to Donald Trump? That's the equation that we're on right now. Nobody knows the answer to that. Don't believe them if they tell you they do. But that's the very proposition that's be- that is going to get tested throughout this election season. I think it's the fundamental versions of the parties of what they are, what is being presented to the American people as the choice 2020. And uh, I think we got a much clearer picture of what that choice on the Democratic side, how that will be shaped. Even if Biden or Sanders is the nominee, the ideological and demographic complexion and constitution of the party as it presents itself to the American people is the choice of the contrast against Donald Trump. It's going to be a very stark choice for the American people. So now I do want to play you these exchanges because I want you to hear them. So this is, first up, you're going to hear the entire sort of four-minute-plus exchange between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on the debate stage last night. So on the issue of race, I couldn't agree more that this is an issue that is still not being talked about truthfully and honestly. I, there is not a black man I know, be he a relative, a friend, or a co-worker who has not been the subject of some form of profiling or discrimination. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because, she, because we were black. And I will say also that, that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden, um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful, to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As Attorney General of California, I was very proud to put in place a a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on. Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, you have been invoked. We are going to give you a chance to respond. Vice President Biden. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. 
That is not true. Number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender. When in fact, when in fact, when in fact my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. Now, number two, as the U.S. as excuse me, as the uh, uh, Vice President of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never, you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, Everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But they, Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? No, do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I oppose. Well, I there did was not a failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the second the, class to integrate Berkeley, but, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. I have people. supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning when Vice I ran President Biden, pro- 30 seconds, because I want to bring you know, other people into this. I supported I the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody, once they, in fact, they should, anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Thank you, Vice President. Clearly, Biden was thrown by Harris's sort of precision-pointed attack on him. And she delivered it in such a way, in such personal terms, that it's hard to believe that it would somehow rebound on her negatively by drawing that that contrast with Biden and, and, and going to him on it. This, though, the day after, with teleprompter, not on a debate stage, not having to think on his feet, reading from a teleprompter, this is how Joe Biden in Chicago today at Jesse Jackson's uh, Rainbow Push Coalition convention forcefully pushed back on any question about his commitment to civil rights. Here's Vice President Biden today. But look, uh, before I start, I'd like to say something about the debate we had last night. And I, uh, I heard and, uh, and I listened to and I respect Senator Harris. But, you know, we all know that uh, 30 seconds to 60 seconds on a campaign debate exchange can't uh, do justice to a lifetime committed to civil rights. I want to be absolutely clear about my record and position on racial justice, including busing. I never never, never, ever opposed voluntary busing. And as a program that Senator Harris participated in, and it made a difference in her life. 
I did support federal action to address root causes of segregation in our schools and our communities, including taking on the banks and redlining and trying to change the way in which neighborhoods were segregated. I've always been in favor of using federal authority to overcome state-initiated segregation. In fact, I cast a deciding vote in 1974 against an amendment called the Gurney Amendment, which would have banned the right of the federal courts to be able to use busing as a remedy. And you might guess, in the middle of the most extensive busing order in American history in my city, in my state, it wasn't what you'd call the most popular vote in the country at the time. So, Reverend Jackson, we've spent a lot of time working together over the years on a lot of issues that matter. And I know, uh, I know, and uh, you know, I fought my heart out to ensure that civil rights and voting rights, equal rights, are enforced everywhere. These rights are not, are not up to the states to decide. They are federal government's duty to decide. It's a constitutional question to protect the civil rights of every single American. And that's always been my position. And so that's why I ran for federal office in the first place. One thing we're about to learn. I talked about that deep reservoir of goodwill that Joe Biden has in the Democratic Party. We are about to learn in the next couple weeks through the next rounds of polling to see if this had any influence on voters. Does he have a Teflon capability? A la Donald Trump did in the Republican nomination race in, in 2015. Does Joe Biden have sort of a Teflon ability because he is so well liked because there is this huge support of his service to the very popular Barack Obama. Are these blips that, you know, light up the Twitterverse and, and beyond? I mean, you know, more than 15 million people watch these debates on each night. So this isn't just the Twitterverse. I mean, this is uh, these are voters and, that are tuning in, but tuning in for the first time, many of them, to these blips that dominate cable chatter actually alter Joe Biden's position in this race? We don't know. We'll find out. But that test is going to be answered sooner rather than later. The other thing Joe Biden is probably quite pleased with, this is just the first debate of 12. Uh, I am certain that he and his team are glad that he did not deliver that debate performance, you know, two weeks before the Iowa caucuses uh, at the end of the debate process. Uh, There is plenty of time to go in this contest. That does it for this edition of The Daily DC. Thank you all so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again right here on Monday. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.